0: Hey, it's the Billy Tye Podcast coming to you from Austin, Texas, Cincinnati, Ohio, and St. Louis, Missouri. Today, episode 44 with guest Nate DeMars, founder of Pursuit, and guest host Jake Schroffnagel. Reminder, you can find us on iTunes and at BillyTye.com and on Instagram, a handle at BillyTye. And the reason we do this podcast is to give interesting people doing impactful things, a platform to tell their stories. I want to tell you about our Billy Tye picks. I want to be able to pass on to you the listeners' benefits while listening to the show. Um, Zilker belts, go ahead and use code Billy BILLYTIE, one word, all caps, and get 10% off Zilker belts. Uh, they look pretty good uh, with uh, our, our next guest suits here as well. So welcome to the podcast, Nate, and welcome back to the podcast, Jake. Thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. Uh, I guess, uh, Jake, you want to jump in and kind of talk about how you and Nate know each other?
1: Yeah, well, good to be back, Bill. Thanks for having me as a uh, guest host in season two. Um, so yeah, I'm no, very happy to be talking with uh, with you and Nate. Nate and I go way back. Uh, back to I think we met in sixth grade, fifth grade. It was it was early, um, and I uh, got a chance to follow him through his uh, our childhood and then into his uh, prospering career and, and pursuit. So uh, yeah, Nate, why don't you just talk us through a little bit about your your journey? how you started pursuit, why you started pursuit. Um, and then, uh, you know, we'll go from there.
2: Yeah. Pursuit is coming up on about eight years at this point. Originally it was a class project when I was in the MBA program at Ohio state. And the concept has always been to try to come up with a much more human and modern approach to, uh, to purchasing suits. So we do that primarily through uh, brick and mortar, retail with what we like to say is a, a modern approach, uh, but still old-fashioned service. So we, we sell primarily just professional attire, suits, shirts, ties. Uh, we have a business that right now is about half outfitting weddings and wedding parties. And the idea is that uh, there are a million places you can buy a suit. And we think that a lot of them are just out of touch with what a younger customer is really looking for.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. And, and again, this is you know a, a podcast that Billy put together for other fellow entrepreneurs. So I always like the uh, the original business plan you talked about. I remember us still um, back in the day when your your first business plan of Pursuit. Do you mind talking about the original idea and just kind of the, how, how the pivot came to what it is today?
2: Yeah. The original concept, I was not a suit guy, as Jake can attest. I was not really uh, a fashion guy per se, although in our small northern Wisconsin town, I do like to remind people I was, was voted best dressed in our senior yearbook. Uh, but Very not fashion forward.
0: <laughs>
2: so the, the concept for Pursuit uh, came up in an entrepreneurship class towards the end of my MBA. It was not at the time a thought of anything that, that was going to be a real life business. It was not what I planned to do with my life but I was on campus at Ohio State, which is third largest campus population in the country. And I saw all of these guys who appeared to be throwing on their dad's borrowed suit on the exact same day and trudging to the Ohio union, the student union for the career fairs and and on campus job interviews. And I thought, man, all these guys seem to be as clueless about how to wear a suit and where to buy a suit as I am. And I had had a, a lackluster Shopping experience prior to that uh, at a department store that I am currently sitting in the shadow of its corporate headquarters but I won't name them and the idea was uh, Most younger guys particularly on a college campus were buying suits at the same place as their dad did and those stores were all geared Towards a baby boomer customer, and they weren't relevant to a younger customer so that was the pitch the Mm -hmm. second elevator pitch on the second day of class and by the end of the quarter, it had started to take on a little bit of a life of its own and, and I started to get excited about the potential of kind of becoming, uh, coming into an industry as a novice and having that perspective uh, that maybe is different because you have no idea what currently goes on in the industry because you've never worked in it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, how about even you know b- before uh, Ohio State? I mean, I know you were working at uh, Whirlpool. and How about just making that transition for folks that maybe like in a corporate role, thinking about entrepreneurship. I mean, did you go to Ohio State knowing you wanted to be, you know, for your MBA, you wanted to be an entrepreneur after that?
2: Uh, No, I think I I got a marketing undergrad from University of Minnesota Duluth and I always enjoyed business and figured my career path would be in in a business related field. and I think when you study business twice, undergrad and grad school, you probably have at least some general notion that you may want to start a business someday, but that wasn't the concrete mm-hmm. plan I was working with. But I, I uh, out of college, got some really great experience in a completely different setting. As you mentioned, uh, I worked in field sales and marketing and sales management for a Fortune 500 company. So I uh, did something very different than what I do now, but learned a lot of skills at Whirlpool, uh, the appliance company, not the hot tubs, as often is asked. Uh, I, learned, I learned things working for a very professional, uh, very solid, huge $20 billion a year at that time company that I think uh, you know, helped me mature in my career. I almost kind of felt like the, the four years I did with them were an extension of my college career. And then when I went back to school for my MBA, uh the idea was i wanted to do something different uh in terms of the type of company i worked for i kind of felt very small fish huge pond with them and wanted to maybe find a career where there's a little more consequence or that my particular efforts were were more integral to the success or the failure of the company and uh, for better or for worse i have definitely found that
1: yeah so you had some corporate experience, you had an MBA, you had an you know, undergrad degree, and then you go to start this business, everything should be fine, right? No obstacles, um, sh- should be no problem. But over the eight years, um, I mean, what, what are some of the things that stood out in the beginning at least? I mean, I know Bill will get into some of the cool things you've been doing uh, lately, but um, what, what are some of the obstacles, off- you know, something that stands out that, that was tougher than you thought maybe in the beginning?
2: Yeah, there, there was some merit to the idea that I was that, that it was smart to come into an industry as an outsider. But the, the counterpoint to that is when you come into an industry having not worked in it and trying to intentionally be very different than everything in it, uh, you learn a lot of very basic lessons the hard way. So, you know, in the early days, the challenges were, you know, I, I knew in general the kind of suits I wanted to sell and what I thought the general aesthetic was that our customers would come to us for. Um, But it turns out suits are a pretty technical piece of apparel in the grand scheme of the apparel world. And so much of our success has been based on uh, the ability to alter or tailor suits to fit individuals. Um, And just doing that at any kind of volume has been very tricky. So in the early days, a lot of the challenges were just really trying to understand the basics of running a, a brick and mortar retail store and trying to understand exactly how the the process of selling someone a suit and uh, somebody with an expertise that I will never have to be a, a master tailor can make it fit uh, like it actually belongs to that customer those Those
0: basic things were real difficult in the early days awesome awesome yeah, absolutely. And as uh, Billy chiming in, I know, Nate, you had mentioned, didn't a job take you there? And then you ended up getting your MBA. So you're originally from Wisconsin. Um, I, I've been to Columbus and uh, I'm from the Midwest. I went in there thinking probably be like a lot of other towns, but I kind of rank it up there with Madison as one of my favorite you know, college towns of the Midwest for sure. You talk about how Columbus, and I guess now Cincinnati, where you open another store and really Ohio in general. Um, can you talk about the support the communities had? It, it's always reminded me kind of Austin, like what Columbus is like with a big school uh, and a capital, roughly the same size, and kind of just a lot going on in the startup. But how is how is Ohio and Columbus, and since, since he really embraced you, and talk about the support they've given you?
2: Yeah, I've I've been down to see you guys a couple times in the last year or so, and and I I do think there's a lot of similarities in terms of just the the energy in the city, Columbus and Austin. I know a lot of your your listeners are in Austin. Uh, fast-growing, very young uh, destination cities for millennials. I don't know that Columbus quite has the national reputation for that that it deserves, but uh, it is the fastest-growing economy in the Midwest, and a lot of that is because fresh out of college, highly educated Ohio State students are choosing to, to stay and make careers in Columbus. And I think there's a dynamic there that really worked for us. Our audience was young. Uh, there was that momentum in that fast-growing young professional population in town and To be honest in the early days the the main reason you would shop with us uh, And Jake's been doing it for eight years at this point is because you believe in the concept or you believe in the the Small number of people involved in it. So we were in the very early days be, you know due to budget constraints and lack of knowledge We were selling Tommy Hilfiger and Calvin Klein and DKNY suits uh, that you could buy at other places and the differentiator in the early days was really uh, we had a concept that we thought was innovative and and people were willing to take a chance on somebody who was maybe less experienced but to get that very personal and and one-to-one interaction when they when they bought the product and I think because we were part of that story in Columbus of a young business trying to do something that could ultimately be bigger and national and reach uh, I think that was a lot of the the early success was just people rallying around around the potential of the concept. And, and maybe that happens in a lot of places, but it certainly feels like, uh, we, we hit at a great time in a city that was on the cusp of really taking off. And, and that's been a springboard for us to, to keep growing there and, and now
0: to have expanded outside of Columbus. Okay. In addition to, uh, uh, Jake, other notable clients that you've had that I've noticed from some of the great content that y'all have done is uh, Wisconsin native, Justin Vernon of Bon Ivar, And then of course, working with the Columbus crew um, soccer team there. Can you talk a little bit about uh, just kind of getting entrenched in the community and how, how much that supports meant to you working with the club there?
2: Yeah, there's, I think there's something we've got that, that has a little bit of magic to it that maybe doesn't sound like much on paper, but, but it's uh, There's some subtle differences to the way we approach um, what I would call partnerships. That has really been great for us. Uh, It's pretty normal in the apparel industry uh, to use influencers or to try to put your clothing on famous people. Um, And in suits, you watch around the the time of say like the NBA draft just happened. uh, You see it a lot for those types of award shows or, or major sports events like that. You'll see a lot of, Uh, brands that cozy up to famous people. It's a really competitive space, but what we've been able to do is, is uh, maybe pick out people that are less obviously associated with a suit um, and come up with much deeper levels of partnership or collaboration. Usually that involves making some really great content with them. So you mentioned a couple of cool examples. Um, Frankly, the Homeland has been very good to me. A lot of our coolest partnerships have sprouted from, uh, personal connections in Wisconsin and Minnesota back home uh, but we've worked with um, you know most recently Bony Vare. we had them uh, play er, I wish we did, we had them uh, at our store before they played, <laughs> um, and it was you know I think it's just we come at suits in a very non-pretentious way so people that maybe would not consider themselves suit people uh, feel comfortable here, and they feel like we're the type of place for them, which is really the the message we're trying to convey in our marketing to our customer base. Too, um, we did something similar about a year and a half ago with the uh, U.S. Olympic curling team before they went uh, and fortunately won a gold before medal. They won and, a gold medal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. i I've, timing has been uh, I've been pretty fortunate to catch lightning in a bottle a couple times. Um, and you mentioned the Columbus Crew. I think. A lot of your Austin listeners, if they've been paying any attention, know that there is this really weird connection between Columbus and Austin for the last couple of years. Um, We struck up this partnership to dress uh, Columbus Crew SC. Two weeks after we announced this multi-year partnership, uh, their ownership announced their intention to move the club to Austin, and uh, it was kind of a jolt. And then uh, the whole saga of that that played out over damn near a year and a half really made uh, made that team the center of the Ohio sports media and a a public interest story beyond just soccer fans and pursuit got to be front and center in the whole effort to try to save the team and ultimately that that was successful so I think the, the lesson of all that for us has been yeah it's cool when people that are more famous than us will partner with us and wear our suits but if we can find more genuine personal connections to those people, make great content with them, make it relatable to the people that, that maybe want to be our customers, that's very different than, than me throwing my arm around some professional athlete uh, at, at a sporting event uh, and just showing that famous people wear our stuff. And I think that's, that's really been transformative for us as well.
0: That's awesome. Well, I,
1: I think I've seen some pretty cool – you've done a great job from a, you know an entrepreneur's perspective of leveraging – not leveraging, but having a genuine tie to—I mean, I remember the first—I think the first one he did was AJ Hawk, and having in a uniquely sit the Ohio State and Green Bay Packer background. And then I know you know you went to school with—I uh, think someone on the curling team too. And again, just to find that common ground and being able to have kind of a mutually—you know—I don't want to use to leverage, but a, a, a beneficial relationship for both both groups. I think it's uh, and creative. It's a very entrepreneurial type thing, and, and it's been cool to watch. So.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think one skill that I can say uh, that I learned possibly at Jake's house as a kid is uh, and you know, not necessarily just from Jake, but I think Jake's dad is one of the most uh, clever entrepreneurs I've ever met. And the idea that you're always looking for that common thread or that excuse to make whatever it is that you'd like to be doing uh, connect to the business that you run Jake and I played many years on his his dad's uh, uh, baseball team, and it was to me that was a great example of how you're able to find a way that whatever you are personally really passionate about and interested in, figure out how that can be part of your business, and you'll enjoy you know you'll enjoy your work a lot more. So. Uh, Well,
1: what he would say is you'll uh, never work a day in your life again. (laughs) And now he'll listen to his first podcast. Now he'll listen to his first podcast after this. Thanks for that, Nate.
2: (laughs) He needs to be a guest if he hasn't been.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, boy. Got to get him in the queue for sure. Um, and also, just Nate's done a great job. You know, it's it's a store that sells clothing, but the, what you've done with again with the community. But I, I've looked at. I know Jake's shown me some of your uh, the content that you guys have done. I think it was a Bonnie bar video, right? Is it you are who we are? Did I say that right? Um, just yeah, r- really good piece, uh, great song. Um, you know, just following your Instagram with, uh, you know, and seeing a bunch of different stories. So, uh, it's, you know, you're putting a story around it more than just, it's not just clothing. There's a whole community behind it. So I think that kind of speaks back to your point is, you know, you can buy a suit anywhere, but you believe in the folks behind, you know, pursuit and what they're doing. And you guys, you guys make it a lot of fun, right? I mean, a lot of times I would think if people are going shopping for suits, it may seem more of a burden at times, but if you can go in there and, and have a really good experience, it's certainly gonna soften that blow and, and make it a you know, a place you're gonna wanna continue to shop at. So Yeah, I, for sure. I, I applaud you uh, for, the, for that for sure. Um, Jake, you wanna take it over here? Uh, yeah. I mean just,
1: just what's uh, tell us a little bit about your, your favorite part about being an entrepreneur, Nate. You think you go back to the corporate world or is this pursuit the rest of your life, rest of your at- career?
2: You know, I, I, I think uh, it's an easy answer. No, I don't think I'll go back to the corporate world unless I can figure out how to build this one into uh, the corporate world. Um, and I do believe at this point I'm, I'm eight years in and um, maybe in the early days when I wrote the business plan, I thought by now we'd have 20 stores and I'd be selling the business to men's warehouse or something. Uh, I don't believe that's the course anymore for multiple reasons. Um, so I think I love what I'm doing. I think the further we get into it and the more I've been able to build a team and just have people around me that can be experts at different parts of the business, the more I enjoy the parts I really get to do. So as of now, my Mm -hmm. plan is to do this. My plan is to do this until it's not fun anymore. And I I think that's uh, for the foreseeable future. Uh, So my favorite parts, I really think are, it's, it's the uh, trying to put those, those fun uh, connections together. So much of it for us is about community and working with people that we think are also doing cool stuff in the community. So w- whenever mm-hmm. we can make friends, uh, find that they're doing something cool, find a way that it makes sense for us to work together, and then do something bigger because of it. Um, I think that's that's really what I get excited about. And then you know now when I can enlist other people on the team to be doing a lot of that with me or or instead of me. It's it's pretty rewarding to see that the company is really has a life of its own, and it's not just strictly whatever I'm driving at the moment.
1: Yeah,
2: mm-hmm.
1: that's great. How about advice for uh, people that maybe just starting a business, that's you're thinking about wanting to start a business?
2: Yeah, there's two camps I think people fall in. One of them is people that sit on ideas forever. Uh, they really are agonizing over it. They're waiting for the perfect time, and and uh, I got advice early on from a friend who is also in the fashion retail business that you should only take your business plan to the point where you have uh, some level of confidence that you know what you're talking about and then find out as quickly as possible in the real world if you do and I, th- I think a mm-hmm. lot of people are waiting for that perfect moment or for all the pieces to fall into place or think they got to raise a half a million dollars to get started and uh, a lot of those ideas never happen so j- so what's the mm-hmm. smallest way you can put it out in the world and get started I think that's the advice a lot of people need to hear at the concept stage. Mm -hmm. And then I think the other part is just being comfortable with uh, just that it's going to look different and change directions. And for me, that was four years almost of telling people that we were going to have this national concept of campus suit stores and being able Mm -hmm. to eloquently explain how great an idea that was and how nobody was doing it and then having to, three and a half years in, eat my words and say, you know what? didn't quite work at the the third largest campus in the country with every home field advantage. It worked, but not in a way that gave any confidence it could scale nationally. And I had to mm-hmm. decide at that point, do I want to go a different direction or do I want to get out of this? And, and uh, I decided to go a different direction. We moved the store a mile down the street, and the business is dramatically better since doing that. Uh, that adjustment. So, being okay with your original idea not being the right one, and having the perseverance to change with it and hang on. Yeah, yeah
1: that's great. So I know Billy really mentioned earlier you, you just opened up a, a new location, Cincinnati. You know, it, I mean, it's almost like being an entrepreneur again, right? I mean, you used to get got some of the concept. But what, what, what are you going to do a little different with the uh, Cincinnati launch versus uh,
2: what you did in Columbus? Lessons you, yeah, you learned. We're we're learning some uh, difficult lessons right now, uh, and I think one of them is we weren't sure when starting a new store 100 miles away, there's a lot of overlap in Cincinnati and Columbus, just people that move between the two or go to college in Columbus and move back to Cincinnati. Uh, but we didn't really know what it would be like to start in a new market, and I, I think we're finding it's it's a lot closer to just starting from scratch than it is to turn mm-hmm. back the clock a couple of years on, on our success in Columbus. Yeah. So it's uh I I kind of feel like right now the stage we're at is is it's almost like a door to door campaign running for running for uh state government or something like that. It's just <laughs> try, trying to make genuine human connections in the community, meet as many people who are doing their own thing. because um, I know all those people in Columbus. Uh and I took mm-hmm. I think I'm taken for granted how how many opportunities in the last two or three years have come to us because pursuit is part of a relatively small number of companies that are, that are really plugged into everything that's happening in, in that city. So I think it's, yeah. uh, it's almost like starting over. And, and we've had good successes early on that we never had in the beginning in Columbus. But I think it's also you know, realizing that every market's going to be different. And if the human part of this is what sets us apart, then we're going to have to, we're going to, have to make those same genuine connections and, and put the work in on the ground. So that's been good. It's been, uh, it's been a nice lesson of, we've got two stores with two completely different sets of challenges, two completely different sets of successes and, uh, um, learning a lot about yeah. running a company and not just a store right now. Gotcha.
0: That's awesome. Well, I was going to say here, in addition though, uh, you're also an online business too. Uh, of course you got Cincinnati and Columbus, the flagship, um, I know I live in Texas. I bought a nice Miz and a shirt off your website. So what, what is your website real quick, Nate?
2: Yeah, uh, our website is pursuityourself.com as are all our social media handles from Facebook and Instagram to Twitter and Pinterest and anything else you can think of.
0: Nice. So I guess you're, you know, you're running the e-commerce and of course you run the brick and mortar. I'm sure it's kind of nice to have complimentary services uh, for, again, I I, I think it's convenient seeing as they're not, not in the neighborhood and still able to support you. So how has the e-commerce side of business been?
2: We have, I think what's a pretty unique e-commerce business. Um, I always say we don't really have a robust e-commerce business, but we sell a ton of suits on the internet, which is a weird, weird thing. Um, so in in Ohio this year, we'll, we'll do, uh, I think, greater than 300 weddings. And think about every, every wedding that you've been in as a groomsman. Um, Jake and I just took turns being in each other's wedding last year. Uh, and just about all of those young, professional, upwardly mobile weddings uh, end up with groomsmen scattered all over the country. And so we actually sell a ton of suits on the internet, um, but they're usually attached to the weddings that we are working with Um, in our stores. So, uh, we are more than happy to sell suits to, uh, anybody listening to this podcast in Austin. Uh, we don't put a ton of energy into online marketing for such things, but, uh, but we have a website that allows the people that know about us from around the country or the people that move around the country to, to continue to support us. But our strategy is, is really growing through this, um, unique wedding dynamic. One, one wedding, 7.4 7.4 groomsmen, uh, included in that wedding. Uh, and that's a lot of our growth is, uh, the, the people that were groomsmen last year who become grooms next year and bring everybody else along for the ride again.
1: I've got one last question, Nate. Uh, you, uh, at one point bought a bread truck, converted it into a suit mobile. Uh, good idea, bad idea. Well, I loved it. What's your your experience? Uh,
2: Potato chip truck, Cape Cod potato chips. Actually, oh
1: okay, okay. (laughs) Uh,
2: It 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 was it was a good idea, but not the way that I thought it was going to be. So when I built that. The idea was we were still campus focused. Um, you guys know the Midwest uh, college campus scene. Most of them are out in a cornfield in the middle of nowhere. So the thought was, mm-hmm. let's take the store to a town that we'd never wanna open a brick and mortar store. And we did that for about uh, two two college years. Um, not with a ton of uh, focus. We didn't have enough staff to be just constantly traveling. And it, it was kind of hit or miss. We had some campuses we did really well. We had some where we pulled up and parked and people are walking by wondering what it is. Um, but we find that uh, we've also used it somewhat as a mobile marketing tool to be at a lot of events around Ohio that, that maybe aren't a sales event. And mm-hmm. uh, we, we got a ton of great publicity about it and then we've had it parked uh, when it's not in use as a billboard in a prominent spot in Columbus. Um, so it's, it has been a huge success as a mobile marketing tool. It's been a, a lackluster success as a, uh, a retail sales driver. Um, <laughs> so it <laughs> still was worth it. Uh, but not at all in the way that I had planned.
0: Well, I thought it looked really cool. So <laughs> nice, nice. I know we're up against it here on time. Um, that's all I have, Nate, really appreciate you, uh, Joining us here, Jake, thank you for co-hosting again. Look forward to having you out on another one. And again, check out, uh, what's the website one more time, Nate? It is pursuityourself.com. And if you're in Cincinnati or Columbus, feel free to stop by. Uh, all right, guys. Well, hey, good catching up with you. And uh, thanks, listeners. And uh, we'll see you all next time.